Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of programs on the subject of Jesus as our King, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining some of the expectations that people have of a king. And in doing so, I'm going to establish the framework through which I'm going to explain how the Lord Jesus is our king, or how he will be our king in the future when he returns at the appointed time. When the Lord Jesus returns at the appointed time, he will be the most perfect king. But of course, between now and then, we have other kings, or we have other governments who function in a similar way that an individual king would, and they certainly are not going to be perfect. At the end of the previous broadcast, I was explaining that a king or a government or a kingdom eventually goes into decay, that it eventually decays to the point where it is corrupt and it is no longer functioning in the best interests of the people, that this is just simply a reality of life, and there are many reasons why that will occur. I'm not going to get into those reasons right now, but I was explaining this in the context of a world government in that when a world government is established, and I personally believe that it will eventually be established, that when that government becomes corrupt, then there will be no hope because there will be no other government that can effectively take control over that world government to provide the people with an opportunity to rebuild their lives and reestablish themselves in a way that they can experience peace and joy and rest in their lives here on this earth. That is definitely a reality, and it is a substantial risk in having a world government. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining the purpose of a king. The purpose of the king is to first protect the people from outside threats, that is, from other kings or other kingdoms or other governments, normally in the context of war, that we do expect our king or our government to protect us, that that is an expectation, it is a responsibility that a government generally has, and with that kind of responsibility, we normally give them the necessary authority in order to ensure that they fulfill that responsibility. And it is our expectation, of course, as the people, that our government will do that. It doesn't mean that they will. It doesn't mean that they are going to do what is necessary in order to accomplish that. Even though we may provide them with all the necessary resources to make that happen, they may decide to spend those resources or utilize those resources for something else. Who knows what that may be. But that is a risk that the people are going to have to face whenever they look to their government to resolve these particular issues concerning national defense. Another purpose for a king is to resolve internal conflicts, that they are the final arbitrators, they are the final judges concerning internal conflicts between the people, that if the people make agreements with each other and these agreements are not honored, that one person may not fulfill their end of the agreement, then the other person will be able to appeal to a series of judges 
or courts until they finally reach the king who will make an ultimate decision. The king has the ultimate authority and is not subject to anyone else's authority or decisions. And when he makes a decision, his decision will be final. That is generally the purpose or the expectation of a king or of a kingdom or of a government of any nature whatsoever. That that is the kind of responsibility that we generally impose on a king or a kingdom. And then, of course, the last purpose for a king that I would like to address is the issues concerning representing the people before other people. That the king may represent the people in the context of war and defense, but there is another way to represent the people, and that has to do with trade or trade agreements or treaties with other kingdoms, with other kings. That the king is normally given the responsibility to represent the people of his kingdom when it comes to trading with other kingdoms or other governments or making treaties with regards to how these people are going to integrate with each other. Now, when this happens, you would normally assume that the king is going to make decisions in the best interest of his people, but that is not necessarily going to be the case. That doesn't always happen. The king, for example, may engage in a deal or in an agreement that may not be in the interest of his people at all, but it might be in his own personal interest, either to give him the opportunity to have more power or authority over his people, or he may be able to acquire more wealth for himself. This, of course, is a substantial risk when the king or the government is only temporary. When a person is in a governmental position only for a period of time, for a certain term, for example, well, then what are they going to do when that term is completed? What are they going to do for a living? How are they going to take care of themselves or their family? This is an important question, and so quite often what people will do when they are in positions of authority, when they're in office, for example, and they know that they're only going to be in office for a short period of time, they will make decisions while they have an incredible amount of authority. They will make decisions that will be in their own personal best interest when they leave their job or when they leave their position, they're in the government that they are working in. They will make decisions in order to perhaps help an individual or help a private corporation in such a way that this person will then reward them by giving them a job when they leave office in the private sector. Or the person may be able to acquire such substantial commissions on a law that they pass because of the money that is transferred and how it is moved. They may be able to acquire such a substantial commission that they can effectively retire for the rest of their life after they complete their term in office. This is a substantial risk when you do not have a king in your government, because in this way, the people who are in office making decisions, as a king would generally make a decision, these people can leave their positions. And when they leave their positions, the people will generally forget that those people were once in office, were once making decisions, and as long as the problems don't show up during the time that they are in office, then the people will blame the people who are in office at that time and forget about those other individuals who made those decisions that were destructive decisions in the lives of the people of the country. That is a substantial risk, and we do see that happening in our country, in the United States right now. We have seen that happen for quite a long time. This is one of the arguments as to why the Founding Fathers were considering setting up a what we would call a constitutional monarchy as opposed to a constitutional republic. 
This is only one of the arguments that would be in favor of having a constitutional monarchy or having a king, because the king would be held accountable for the decisions that they would make. However, the representatives or the senators who were elected for a short period of time, as long as they leave office before there are problems, then they will not be held accountable by the people for the decisions that they made previously. Now, of course, I personally am not in favor necessarily of having a king. That's not my personal opinion. I'm not making any suggestions, really, with regards to what I would like to see in these programs. I'm just simply stating the reality of facts and of issues, and the fact that these are concerns that have to be addressed if there is going to be a sound government or a sound kingdom. I certainly am not presenting any solutions at all. I am only speaking about issues, about problems, because I believe the ultimate solution is when Christ Jesus returns here to be our king, then all of these problems will be resolved. That no matter what we may do here on earth, we are not going to be able to replace the Lord Jesus. We are not going to be able to set up our own Messiah here on earth who is going to fulfill all things that are required. I do not believe that that is possible, and so I wanted to mention that to make it clear that I certainly I may have some strong opinions concerning things, but that doesn't mean that I believe that the solutions are going to be found with us here on earth. That's for certain. But when it comes to representing the people before other people, well, then a government can make decisions, can easily make decisions that are not in the interest of the people. Let me give you a very simple modern example. And this example is very critical in our current time. And, of course, I am then going to be putting an expiration date on this program because in the future these things will probably be realized. And at that time you may be listening to this program. And in that context I want you to have an understanding with regards to how things have occurred or why things are the way they are now that these are the issues that make the current reality what it is. The example that I'd like to refer to is the example of deficits, because when it comes to trade, deficits normally occur. And the deficit in this particular context has to do with the fact that we may receive goods from one government or one kingdom or one country, and yet we may not send the same number of goods or equitable value of goods back to that country. In that case, there is a deficit in terms of trade, whereas we have received more things from one government or one kingdom than we have given to them. Now, it may certainly look like that is in our favor at that particular time in the sense that we receive more than they do for the time and for the labor and for the resources that we have at our disposal. And so in a certain way, it may look like that is to our advantage. But this is the problem, and this is the problem that we are facing right now, and that is that the employment factor changes dramatically. What happens is is that whoever is producing more stuff than the other group or kingdom is producing, that person will have more employment for the people. The people will have more work that they can do. The other people will have less work that they can do because the production of goods is only the result of employment. And so what we are seeing right now is we are seeing a significant employment problem in the United States, and yet on the other hand, there are other countries that we do business with, that we trade with, that do not have an employment problem at all. They have plenty of work to do because they are producing things for us. 
we don't have hardly any work to do because we are not producing anything for ourselves or for anyone else for that matter. And so there is a significant imbalance in terms of employment. And of course, when people don't have work, then they're not earning any money, they're not developing any wealth. In fact, they're having a difficult time paying their debts, and we are seeing a complete collapse of our economy taking place right now with, of course, no bottom in sight, only because there is no opportunity for any increase in employment, any real substantial employment. That is a reality of life that we are seeing unfold right now, and it is because of this deficit. It is because of these trade agreements, and the complexity of these trade agreements are, of course, very difficult, and I'm certainly not going to address these issues right now. I have done extensive debates with economists over the years concerning this matter, and so I certainly can say an awful lot about it, but that's not the purpose of this program. The purpose of this particular program in this circumstance is only to address the issue of why would a government make decisions to destroy its own people by taking away their ability to earn a living? Why would they do that? Well, a simple reason has to do with money, and I do believe that money will answer a lot of things. In fact, according to the scripture, money answers all things. But in this case, I'll just refer to a couple of things, and in this matter, in and of itself, it has to do with the fact that those people in government, the people who are in positions of power at any given time, those people have power because they have the ability to make laws and spend money. Now, again, where do they get their money? Well, in the previous program, I was explaining that the government will get their money by either taking it directly from people through taxes, they will take it indirectly from people by inflating the currency, by devaluing the currency, that is a tax indirectly on the people, any of the people who have money, who have the money that they are creating, it is a tax on them, or they can borrow the money. There is no other way for the government to have any money to spend. Now, when it comes to employment, if you are working, then you will give a percentage of what you earn to the government. And let's just pick a number. Let's assume that it's 30% or 45% or 50 or 65%, whatever it is. Let's just try 30% just to pick a number for right now. Let's assume that you give 30% of the money that you earn through trade to the government every year. Well, that's pretty good for the government. They will then be able to spend that money in whatever way they see fit, whatever way that they want to, minus, of course, a small commission for the people who are making these decisions. But there's another way for them to have more money to spend, and that has to do with the deficit. That has to do with the trade agreements that have been made. You see, if they can take your job and move it over to another country so that somebody else will do that job, well, then they will produce something, They will send those goods over here. We will buy those goods with a certain number of dollars, and that is the same amount of money that the people here would have earned. However, instead of the people here keeping 70% of their income and giving 30% to the government, 100% of that money instead goes to the other country. Now, what are the people going to do in that other country with those dollars that they have received? They're not going to buy anything with it. There isn't anything for them to buy with it. We don't produce anything for them to buy anything with it. Now, of course, there are other things that they can buy on an international scale. For example, they could buy oil. That's certainly something they could buy because oil has been traded for a significant amount of time 
only in dollars. That, of course, has been changing in recent years. And right now, there are some major agreements being made between various countries not to buy natural resources to include oil in dollars. So what's going to happen when these people have these dollars that they have received in exchange for their productivity for their labor? Well, all they can do is loan it back to us. They can loan it to us. So who do they loan it to? Well, they loan it to the government who guarantees that they will pay the money back. And, of course, the guarantee is that they guarantee that they will take whatever the people in this country have in order to pay these other people back. That's the guarantee. They will do that directly or indirectly. In general, we expect that they will do that indirectly through just the creation of money. That is what they have been doing recently. And, of course, there's no end in sight for that. And it's the easiest way to handle it because it's very unusual to find anybody who has any idea how that is happening or the consequences of those decisions. It's very unusual to find anyone who has any understanding with regards to the implications of that. And so when the destruction finally occurs... Hardly anyone's going to know what happened, and hardly anyone will ever know what has happened at all. They'll come up with all kinds of excuses or reasons. doesn't matter what it is, though, because those reasons will not be the real reasons. So however that plays out, it's definitely going to create a lot of change in everybody's life. But, but here's the point, and that is that the people will only be able to loan money to us, that money that they received in exchange for their goods. So what that means is is that the government, the people in the government, will then be able to spend 100% of the money that was involved in the transaction instead of 30% of the money that was involved in the transaction. Let me say that again. If the employment is here in this country, then the government will receive 30% of the transaction. However, if the employment is in another country, they will then receive 100% of the money involved in the transaction as a loan that they will then be able to spend. And, of course, they don't care if they ever have to pay it back because if they do, they'll just create the money, effectively print the money or digitally create the money in order to pay them back. There is no cost to them. And, of course, these people will be out of office long before the debts are due. And so, again, they will not be held accountable. They will not have to find the money to pay the people back who they borrowed the money from to begin with. And so that is why the deficit is in the interest of the government and not in the interest of the people who they represent. And that is why a government, or that is how, this is an example of how a government or a king can make decisions while representing his people that can be against the interests of his people. This is one example of many. There are many examples that I could give, but I want to explain this because this is what people assume a king or a government is supposed to do. People assume that they are supposed to function in the interest of their people. But when they do so, especially in a society or in a system that we have right now, in an economic system with the type of money that we use, and in a governmental system with the way that it is structured, it is not in their interest to function in the interest of the people. That's the point. And this happens all the time. This is always an issue in every governmental structure, in any kingdom, in any attempt at setting up a worldly institution run by mankind, run by men, this is always going to be the case, no matter how it happens, no matter how long it takes to happen. And this is why we need Jesus to be our king. Now, why would Jesus be a better king in light of all these circumstances, in light of all these issues? 
Well, the reason why he will be a better king is because he cannot fall to the same temptations that we as people will fall to. He is a person who has no need for money. He is a person who has no need for food. He is a person who has no need for power. He has no need for authority. He has all the power and all the authority. He is the one who created this entire world. He is the one who has all things, and he is the one who will eventually decide that this world will end. This is a king who will definitely make decisions that are righteous and just and true, and he will live honestly because that is who he is. He is the very definition of all things. If he was not, then not only the universe, but all existence that we can possibly conceive of would eventually decay and be completely corrupt and implode, destroy itself. He would destroy it, and he would destroy himself, and there would be no existence of any kind to define anything that would have to do with existence. By necessity, he has to be true. He has to be just. He has to be honest. He has to be righteous. And for that reason, he is the only one who can be the true king. King Jesus is the only king who will ever provide people with an opportunity to be who he created them to be. And so when he returns to rule here on earth, he will provide us with the great opportunity to do that. And as we have recorded in the scriptures, he will rule for a thousand years to give us a wonderful opportunity to truly enjoy living under the ultimate king. But as we know in the scriptures, according to the prophecies that have been given, Eventually, there will be a final war. There will be a final battle. Even after all of that, even after he rules for a thousand years, there will be a final battle against him as king, a revolt or a revolution. And this, of course, is just another example to show that even though you have a revolt or a revolution, that doesn't mean that the end result is going to be any better than what you had previously. And I can guarantee you that even if the people succeed in this revolution against King Jesus, which they definitely won't, but if we were to assume that they would succeed, well, that is totally obvious, it is totally clear to me that what they could possibly set up as a replacement for Jesus being our king will definitely be worse than having the ultimate king. In Revelation chapter 20 verse 7 it says, When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. And then continuing into verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. We know that there's thousand years will definitely occur. There will be a final rebellion. Satan will be involved in that rebellion. He will be judged. Judgment will be passed, and there will be an end to the heavens and the earth, this earth. And when that happens, the Lord will certainly set up something different, as is recorded in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea.
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And of course, there is an awful lot more to be said about this. But of course, I can't help but wonder, how is it possible? How is it possible that the people would rebel even after the ultimate king is there in place? Well, certainly Satan is involved in this, but there are other people who are going to participate in this great rebellion. Why in the world would they conceive of doing that? What would motivate them after living under Christ Jesus as king? Well, I personally believe that this illustrates or this gives us the evidence to show that there's definitely something wrong with us, that it doesn't really have to do with whether or not there is something wrong with King Jesus. There definitely is nothing wrong with King Jesus. This is just further evidence to show that there's something wrong with the people. Because when the people rebel against the ultimate king, it's not the fault of the king, it's the fault of the people. This happened in heaven with the angels, where one-third of the angels rejected the living God, they rebelled against the true and living God. That wasn't to say that there was something wrong with the living God. It was to say that there was something wrong with the angels, that the angels were not created perfect, not perfect in the sense that they were just like God. They were created in a way that they could actually sin. They did, and there is no redemption for them whatsoever. We as people here on earth, we rebelled, we sinned. However, there is an opportunity for redemption, at least up until the point where you physically die. Once that happens, then there is no opportunity for redemption. You either believe the gospel and believe it now, or that's it. It's over. You are, to use the expression, you're toast. You're going to go where the devil and his angels are going to end up, which is in hell. That is going to be a reality. And so this is critical, and that is that there is something wrong with us, there is nothing wrong with King Jesus. But when he does officially rule as king, he will give us an opportunity to see that reality, to see who he is, and to see who we are in that context when he personally is ruling as our king. When he was ministering here on earth as a prophet, he demonstrated, he showed us that there was something wrong with us. When he rose from the dead and then related to us as a priest, he, through his message and in addition through the word of the Holy Spirit, continually reaches out to people to show us that there is something wrong with us so that we will believe the gospel and be saved. And when he returns here as king, it will then be the third opportunity for him to demonstrate to us that there is something wrong with us. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net